Hey, crew. Yeah. Do you know who made the plates that we use every single day? Yes, I do know. They're Brooklyn clay made. They also make the cups that I use, the bowls that I use, the car I drive, the silk robe I wear to entertain friends. Uh, I'm actually hoping that they'll build me a tambourine. What? Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Ceramics Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Thomas Mueller. Hi, how are you? Hi, Cammy. I'm doing I'm, good. How I'm are you so, doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so glad you're here. This is so fun. I don't even remember Gus anymore. He's gone. He's dead to me. Um, well, I'm thinking about him constantly. Okay, okay that's weird. Uh, calm, settle down. He's, he's fine. Uh, um, no, but thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I really appreciate appreciate you pitching in. And I think we're going to have a couple conversations and I'm really looking forward to it. But one thing I forgot to tell you is I've been starting out the podcast with my name is Cami Klamaka. Welcome to Strangers Podcast. And I love, and then I say what I love. Last podcast I loved, uh, um, what did I love? I can't remember. Oh, I can't it's remember my own It was a profound love. Uh, it was like, oh, I love working on the same the same pieces for a year straight and not finishing anything so this time i think i'm gonna love when you just have like a little piece of red clay in your cuticle and you mm -hmm. have you like <laughs> you wash your hands and everything and you get go about your day and then somehow you have a white shirt on mm -hmm. and you just stains your shirt and you're just like fuck you red clay i hate you yeah but then yeah. you get it out the next day and it's like your best friend again <laughs> The red clay or your cuticle? The, the red clay. I don't care about right. it. <laughs> like, I've abused this body. Who cares? <laughs> but tell me, um, tell me about your summer. What's happening? Because it sounds like it's going great. It's It has been going great. I've had an excellent summer. Um, sadly, we're winding down to the other side of the summer. Um, but it's been good. I was in, invited, I know we talked offline, but I was invited to uh, be a resident at the uh, Center for Contemporary Ceramics at Long Beach that, you know, the ceramics residency at Cal State Long Beach, um, which has been amazing. And it was, it's really, you know, it was, it was really cool because our studio at USC was shut down for the summer for earthquake retrofitting. Wow. Welcome, welcome to California. That's crazy. Um, and Chris Miles, the, who's, who's running the program uh, along with uh, Tony Marsh, you know, they got wind of it and invited me to spend the summer in their studio, which was That's awesome. So sweet. Yeah, yeah. And you're with some amazing other artists too, right? Drop some names. Oh. <laughs> like who you're with everybody. Like it's cool. It's been, yeah, pretty special summer. I mean, A, just, you know, getting to, you know, Chris, work with Chris Miles and Tony Marsh and just, you know, they're both practicing artists and they work in the space as well, um, at, which is that in and of itself is amazing. I work, you know, this summer, uh, Linda Sorman's been there. I know she's out with you guys at NYU. We're in, in New York teaching at yeah. NYU. Raven Half Moon was there uh, for cool. a little while. Uh, Nikki Green is there, who cool. we'll be chatting with shortly. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Jernigan, he's a young, amazing artist out here in LA um, that worked for me at SC. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, people are slipping. Um, yes. And then uh, on top of that, it's oh Zimra Biner's there as well. I don't know if you know oh, Zimra. He, he just showed up for a couple of couple of weeks. He's in town to work. Um, and on top of that, which I think is really unique about 
the residency, um, not only, you know, do you have, you get to work with all these people, you know, uh, in ridiculously incredible facilities, everything you need is there. They, they, you know, whatever you want to do, they'll help you figure out how to do it. Cool. Um, but they invite, uh, their, their upper division students and their MFA students who, who get, you know, they're not in class, we're not their teachers, but they get to use the studio. So these upper division students, right. you know, you know, presumably serious students get to hang out with artists from all over the world and kind of get to you know learn from the corners of their eyes so to speak and get to have kind of informal conversations and so I think it's, it's an incredible act of generosity on their part towards the artists but also towards their own students and I think it's kind of a win-win-win and it's been for me personally just um, proven to be an incredibly productive summer I, you know to my pleasant surprise I mean it's 40 minutes from my house so it's like oh well, you know what's going to be different, you know, um, right. but, it, but it turned out to be incredibly different, just time to focus new surroundings and just really inspiring. So it's been really cool. Let me ask you a question. We, we play words with friends a lot, like yeah. a ridiculous, yeah. almost embarrassing. Like, I don't yeah. know if we should tell the listeners how yeah. much we play. Cause yeah. it's so crazy. Um, uh, it's your turn. It's your turn. By the it's way. on which game? Like, yeah. uh, yeah, <laughs> but I think we were talking a couple a couple games ago about like referencing your own work like mm -hmm. after you know we've both been making work for a long time right mm -hmm. like I, years like years and years and years mm -hmm. and then now sort of I have my own arsenal of of kind of content to like pull mm -hmm. my you know like and I was just wondering like what are you working on and are you re like referencing yourself are you referencing the old Thomas Mueller mm. Cause I saw some images and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great uh, question. I'm hemming and hawing because when I, cause now the residency is kind of winding down and I have a bunch of stuff that I made this kind of collection of experiences and it, you know, it's become what it is in the best way. But when I started, um, I, I was like, okay, you know, I've got all this time, like space, big giant kilns. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to hand building, which I haven't done as part of my practice for, I guess, decades. Cause I've been <laughs> mostly slip casting for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this and, is why I'm bringing it up. Yeah, and working with other materials. And um, and um, it was, of course I do demos and stuff for class, but I don't do it for my work. And that's kind of was my entry, you know, my, my plan. And it lasted about a week and a half to two <laughs> weeks. And I made a bunch of stuff and it was fun, but it was, you know, and it brought me back to my youth. Oh yeah, this is why I like coil building. This is why people get into this. <laughs> But at least, you know, but it, it didn't stick, right? I got kind of pulled into the work that I've been doing and kind of used the resources and, and the facilities and the, just the space to kind of dive back into what I've been doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and kind of realizing, at least for now, I'm not the kind of artist that I used to be in terms of touch and making, right? Even though oh. I still... I still love the, like, it's still fun. I still like it. And I like the way the clay feels and all that stuff. But the things I was making, it's not really sticking with me in a way um, that these other processes do, if that makes sense, which was huge, kind of felt like going to a shrink or something. And, <laughs> and like, okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> therapist. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, it, it does feel like, I love it. I love that. Oh. And, and, and I think that was one of the great things about it because I've been thinking about this for a few years. Like, I'm going to like, kind of make some hand-built sculptures. I really miss doing that. And so I did. And it, I guess I don't really miss it. <laughs> well, we'll see. I think it remains to be seen. It, you know, I feel like 
um, I mean, I'd be curious if what you would say, but I feel like um, an art practice kind of sp spirals, right? We kind of swirl around questions and we kind of come back to things that we did in the past and bring it to the present, right? Yeah. Um, and who knows, maybe maybe this, like what I did this summer in terms of just the building stuff will will actually kind of reveal itself in a way that I don't see yet. Yeah. I think for me, I love like looking at my old sketchbooks yeah. and being like, oh, God, that was such a good idea that I never mm. did anything with. Yeah. And then I'm like, I could do it now. And then I'm like, or I could just <laughs> not do that and do what I want to do, which is make the things that I want to, you know, right. so What's it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like I'm working on these yeah. big pieces, which I talk about every fucking week, but also <laughs> depending on the piece, like sometimes you don't want to go back. Sometimes it's like you've, you've like done it and you're good. And you've, you wanna... you've answered that, you've answered that question. Yeah. In maybe um it's mm. kind of like dealing with nostalgia right like oh it seems really romantic and then you go back to that place that you loved you know 20 years later and it's like oh it's kind of old and dingy right yeah but are you is that what you you've been exploring or what have you been working on this summer oh, have you been not even time? Oh my, this is so crazy so i got a freelance job for from a, a residential construction marketing interior design team i don't really know uh i'm gonna say it's all of those things and i got this job where they wanted me to make 11 busts for a lobby of a built residential building in dallas so i did it Ooh. i Ooh. made 11 well i actually made 17 human heads how, for the how, last how, month and a half what's the scale so they it was very specific they had to be under 12 inches okay yeah so it was like very human head-esque but just a little smaller, <laughs> just like a little tiny, like versus just like a tiny percentage off, like 5% lower. So yeah, <laughs> my studio at one point was just like littered with yeah. like human heads and they wanted, okay, here's the best part. In the brief, they really, you know, they were like just a mix of different styles, nothing specific, like no specific people. They didn't want you to like make Pete Davidson. Like they didn't want anybody. They right. just wanted like random people. <laughs> like, which, you know, of course I would have done that. Um, right. So I sent them a couple, I sent them the first three as like testers and they were like, well, we really want them to be smiling. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I was like, I was like, listen, you can't have like you can't go into a play into a, anywhere and have 11 human heads smiling at you especially it's, when they're just a little bit smaller than yeah it's so, so crazy yeah. it was so creepy so i made it like one smiling and then oh, they really? were like are they they're very like some of them are re very realistic where's, where's the pictures i don't i don't have i didn't even i heard, i did it so fast mm. so okay here's another thing about the heads Every head, because of the budget, they didn't, of course, they didn't really want to pay anything. So every head had to take no more than two and a half hours. <laughs> I know. So uh, some so of them are just, it is what it is. At two hours, I was like, stop. <laughs> it's walking out. Yep. This is a crazy job. Is it done? It's done and it's shipped. So if and you live in Dallas, in check yeah, it out. I don't where really is it? Somewhere in Dallas. Like a private home. No, it was commercial. You said it was a commercial space. No, no, no sorry, not commercial. It's a it's like an apartment building. Whoa. In the library right. of an apartment building in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. And what was that like doing, I guess, a commission project in your studio? 
I, you know, it was a really fast job. So I kind of was like, it took a month. And so I was excited about that, you know, but the weird thing is once I started making the heads, I was like, oh, I really like making busts. Mm. So at the beginning, I was like, this is so fun. Like a totally new project. And then at the end, I was like, fuck these busts. <laughs> I don't ever want to make another one. <laughs> so, so that was my summer. That sounds, that sounds <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. You and 12 smaller than life-size human heads in your studio. Yeah, I was like telling them all to shut up all the time. Stop <laughs> smiling at me. Stop smiling at me. And did you hear them talking to you often? All the time. Yeah. They were like, yeah. I, they were like, golly, I wish I just had a little bit more articulation in my features. <laughs> I wish I could breathe. I wish through these nostrils. Through these nostrils. Well, it sounds like it's been a riveting summer then. Mm, something. <laughs> um, today on the podcast, we have Fabio Fernandez, who is an artist and all currently the director of Greenwich House Pottery and mm -hmm. also Cranbrook grad. So it's like nice. triple Cranbrook, which I'm so happy about because I'm always stuck with all these Alfred people with Gus. So <laughs> this is like, I mean, Alfred, Alfred, Alfred. Like I got to hear in the back, I always cut it, which in the conversations, but literally all they talk about is some restaurant in Alfred, New York, which is <laughs> so boring to me. So I'm so excited to like, talk to a Cranbrook person <laughs> and I mean I know we'll we'll talk about it but he's it's you know um we should point out that uh Fabio was a uh, in sculpture um uh, not ceramics at yeah. Cranbrook and Thanks. is now uh running this incredible ceramics you know institutional ceramics uh facility at Granite House Pottery um yeah this conversation was so fun and uh I guess here he is Fabio Fernandez hello Fabio Thank you so much for joining us today for the Ceramics Podcast. We're so happy to have you. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Yes, of course. I've been wanting to have you on for so long. Technically, you're uh, you're my boss, so let's keep it appropriate. So am I supposed to be the bad cop interviewer and you're the good cop interviewer? Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. That's, that'll work out great. Actually, uh, the thing that the three of us have in common is that we went to Cranbrook, which we can talk about for hours and hours and hours. So I think we should keep the Cranbrook talk to a minimum because it can get really culty and I want the listeners to like, like the podcast. Um, <laughs> but right now you are the director of Greenwich House Pottery. How, how's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. I'm about a year into my position. Uh, my wife uh, and I, uh, moved from Boston, where we had been for 15 years. Oh, wow. Oh. Coincidentally, my wife and I met at Cranbrook. Um, right. And it's going well. I have to say it was a rough two, two months uh, adjustments, not only to the new position and all the demands and uh, learning that needs to happen, but then also just acclimating to this big city, right? Yeah. Um, new York is a different... I mean, Boston is a big city, but New York is like a different yeah. pace. Yeah, I remember uh, my first two months here, I was talking to a designer, pretty well-known designer, because I wanted to get his take on the layout of the, the, the pottery 
And I had never met him before, but we had a mutual friend and he long time, lifelong New Yorker born and raised. And his first thing was like, well, um, <laughs> how do you like New York? And I said, well, you know, it's, it, it's good. You know, adjustment is difficult. We moved in the summer and I noticed there's a lot of trash and rats and it's really hot and there's so much to do and see, but it's also dependent on your level of income. And he says to me, you either love it or you don't. <laughs> so I told my wife that, Christine, and I said, and she, Christine's like, just tell people you love it. So now typically I just say I love it. <laughs> Cut to the chase. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you know, you have to buy like New York shoes and New York clothes so you don't look like an idiot. First, right off the jump, you're like, oh my God, the shoe game here is in like, it's really intense. And then it doesn't matter what else, like it doesn't matter whatever you wear, all black though, you should wear all black, but it doesn't matter, but you should probably wear black. But also your shoes have to be, they'll, they'll tell everybody everything they need to know about you, really. Yeah, good so point. When you say shoe game, it sounds like you answered my question. It's not about like comfort and hiking shoes because you're walking a lot. It's no. all about fashion and looking good yes okay. yes like nobody cares about no comfort. yeah my my shoe game was pretty good i think to begin with i'm a i wear campers typically um but my wardrobe at the pottery but first week you know i was wearing a blazer and my colleagues teased me about it uh because the second week i was not wearing a blazer you know you're <laughs> just as you know there's dust everywhere and <laughs> you know you have to be comfy business casual uh even even somewhere between business casual and athleisure right <laughs> oh ceramicists yeah yeah ceramicists have a definite look sure yeah shorts yeah. would be kind of pushing the envelope for casual yeah <laughs> oh interesting okay good to know for all the people <laughs> going to a job interview in a ceramics center don't wear shorts actually <laughs> or just don't wear shorts to a job interview. I don't really know. <laughs> Fabio, where are you from originally? I, I was born in Uruguay, uh, you know, the small country right between Argentina and Brazil. But my parents moved when I was six and we moved to Newark, New Jersey. So, you know, I was raised across the, across the Hudson River. Um, grew up in Newark and then, you know, spent some time uh, in Texas and Arizona, then grad school Michigan and then we moved to to Boston so I'm um I'm from a variety of different places I I prefer to live in blue states whenever possible oh uh, yeah yeah <laughs> agree do you um is your family uh, uh, do you still feel connected to Uruguay do you still mm -hmm. have family or do you go back or yeah we have we still have family there my my parents were born in spain and they left to go to uruguay when they were like 17 so they spent you know 20 25 years in uruguay and then when we moved here we would go to spain every couple summers so i have a you know more connection to to spain in that sense my parents both grew up like in very rural villages um they didn't go past eighth grade and they left Spain at a time to seek, you know, better opportunities for themselves. Um, but we would go and spend time in the country in Spain. My father came from like a, a, a small mountain village where they had 
vineyards and my family came from a small farming town where they were kind of subsistence farmers. Wow. Uh, so I have fond memories of going, going to Spain. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it really Beautiful. does. How did you find yourself? At, I, I just said that we weren't going to talk about Cranbrook, but just like a little bit. Um, how did you find yourself <laughs> at Cranbrook? Yeah. In sculpture department, right? Yes. Right. I guess it, it was a rather circuitous route. Uh, I didn't, I studied business as an undergraduate. And then I went to work in the business world and found it wasn't a good match. But my senior year in undergrad, I took a ceramics class and clay modeling class. And the, the professor was very encouraging. And, and uh, you know, he said to me that you should keep it in your life to some, to some degree. Not everyone has to be a full-time artist. So I, I kind of did that. Um, then I, I was a volunteer in Service to America, Vista, in rural Texas. Then I taught... Um, Teach for America in Phoenix, Arizona. And when I was teaching there, eighth grade at-risk student population in South Phoenix, they asked all the teachers to offer an enrichment class and something that you were interested in. And so teachers were offering like, you know, yoga and square dancing. And I realized I didn't really have any interests, but I remembered <laughs> having taken the ceramics class and I'm like, oh, I'll do that. So I got like 500 pounds of clay donated and, and taught ceramics without really having any background and then i thought yeah i really like this um i want to change my life to be an artist so uh wow. i went back to get like a, a master's degree in sculpture with the idea of wanting to go to a really good grad school uh but not having had the portfolio so that's where getting an ma rather than having to go back and get a bfa allowed me the time to work on my portfolio and the professor at the college where I was at, Montclair State University, had been, you know, a 1975 Cranbrook grad who studied with Michael Hall. So that's where Cranbrook first came on my radar. Just, yeah. just uh, why did you, um, at that point, when you were kind of shifted over to being an artist, why did you choose to kind of pursue sculpture instead of ceramics? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Sculpture seemed to be like a, a more generalist way of working. You know, like I think that the average sculptor can do a lot of things um, rather crudely, right? Like we can all weld, we can all work with chicken wire. <laughs> and, and that appealed to me. Um, and then when I got to Cranbrook, I realized that there's this whole level of knowledge and experience and history in ceramics that I was just so impressed by but still kind of rooted in in what I saw as the broader possibilities of being within a sculpture department, you know. Were you with Heather McGill then? Yes, I was with yeah. Heather McGill. And by the way, when I was at Montclair State, not only was Walt Swales, the professor there, a Cranbrook grad from the 70s, Seth Nagelberg was also someone that I had met and he went to Cranbrook a year before me. So I had this Kind of route to get to Cranbrook. I visited for my first year and he, he was within his first year and, right. you know, just being there kind of cinched it for me. I also wanted, you know, I'd applied to a variety of different MFA programs and I kind of wanted to get away from the Northeast and all the obligations of family life. Like, you know, I found myself at that age, all my friends were getting married and having baptisms and confirmations. And, and I just wanted to be in the studio. And kind of Cranbrook, the geographic uh, distance and the kind of monastic setting allowed for that, you know. 
So here's my big, my, my favorite biggest question at what point, and I, I don't even know if you even did, when did you start thinking about craftsmanship? I guess because Heather McGill, her work was so perfectly crafted. I'm yeah. thinking about like craftsmanship in general. Yeah, I think I, I was fortunate to, in retrospect, I was fortunate to have parents that were makers. My father was a carpenter and mm. my mother was a seamstress. So, mm. you know, growing up uh, in, this, in this immigrant household, uh, I, I was exposed to that, although my parents sheltered my older brother and I from that, from the making. You know, they wanted us to go to college. So, you know, you don't, we don't want you to work physically hard. We want you to, you know, work with what they saw as your mind in a nice air conditioned space with mm -hmm. job security. Uh, so it was, it was always in the ether, this idea of making. If I remember when you were at Cranberry Graduate School and, and even at, you know, your, your kind of art career, it was very conceptually based sculpture. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, my first piece actually, I remember getting there and just being so kind of like a deer in the headlights, like, oh wow, I'm at this great school, I have no idea what to make. And I'd come to Cranbrook, my portfolio was really kind of minimalist, steel work along the lines of a Donald Judd and a Tony Smith. And Tom, I heard in your, in, in your interview, you were talking about how conceptual art was kind of your route. For me, it was like, you know, American minimalism. And when I got there, it just very much changed. Um, so we had to, Heather, who's just such a fantastic teacher and a great educator, she had everyone make a piece within a week so that you don't get stuck. And mm -hmm. when we first got there, you, you know, there's like, 15 studios and you draw straws to see who gets the best studio. And I drew like the last straw. So I was in the basement. And so this idea of drawing straws just got me uh, interested in just literally drawing straws. So my first work at Cranbrook was watercolor drawings of those flexible shaft drinking straws. And, and it's now my Instagram handle at yeah. drawing straws, you know? I was going to ask you about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So after Cranbrook, what happened? I like that after you're... Cranbrook? Yeah, you're slowly, like, honing. You've gone from all these materials, now you're honing in. So what, yeah, like, where is it? Then where did you go after that? Yeah. So I had the good fortune of being hired as a curator at Cranbrook, um... When I was a student, I was very involved with the Forum Gallery, right? So to, to, to your listeners, the Forum Gallery is a student space where every week you turn it over and you can pitch an idea and make it happen, right? Um, so I curated like seven different exhibitions during my time there. And I saw curating as becoming kind of an, an extension of my studio practice. Um, I love the idea of organizing people and objects and ideas and budgets. Um, <laughs> oh, so with, like, with that rather minimal background in curating the, the yeah. Art Academy, they had this peculiar position uh, curating exhibitions within the museum in what was called the Network Gallery. And all the exhibitions were drawn from Cranbrook alumni work. So it gave me an opportunity to really dig deep into the history of the departments and who graduated from them. Um, and it was just... A wonderful experience. That's where we met the first time, right? You had curated the, that literary print show. Yes. Yeah. It was called The Literary Print in the 21st Century. 
And yeah. it was a group show of 10 alum. And it was very loosely uh, structured. Like I asked people to make a, a, a print, however you might define that, based on a work of literature, however you might define that, right? So, Tom, you made a piece based on L.A. LA water, right? Yeah, manholes, yeah. The, the yeah. history, and then I used the manholes as the, the printing. And if I remember, you actively chose, no, none of the people were actual printmakers. Correct. We were all or ceramics, painting, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then every, we all got a suite of everybody's print or a box full of, full of all, all the artist's prints, which was... That was a suite. Uh, yeah, Christian Tedeschi was in that and several other people. It was a really beautiful suite of prints. And then that show traveled to Point Loma University oh, where Diego. we saw you again. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. That was San Diego. <laughs> so, then you, so then you became a curator. Correct. Yep. Okay. Now we're getting, now we're getting like, this is getting excited. <laughs> you, you were still, um, you had your own active art practice. And if, if I recollect, you were showing at um, Hillbury in Detroit, Susan, Su Susan, Suzanne Hillbury in Detroit. Like, like yeah. you, you, you had this kind of really burgeoning art career as you were doing this curating, right? Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of a, you know, a great spot to be in on, on the one hand, but when you tell your fellow artists that you're a curator, all of a sudden, like somehow something switches and like the, the, the dynamics change. Right. Um, so I think when you're a curator, it's, it's hard to keep a hold of that string of, of having a studio practice. Uh, but I, I, I tried to do both. I, I still do to a degree. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I did. I entered the, the world of curating through the door of the studio, you know? Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's true now, like still, I think the expectation now is to actually get your work shown, you curate yourself into shows. But I think when you were coming out of grad school, definitely that was the case. Like you were one or the other, like you couldn't, you really, you really wouldn't say you were both. Yeah. Or in, yeah. Or maybe when you're just starting out, you're just like, that's part of the hustle, I think, of yeah. being an artist. And I'm a, a, you know, a little bit torn about that. Like on the one hand, you're an artist and also uh, part of your creative practice is being a curator. So yeah, if you're going to curate an exhibition, of course you should be in it. You, you have the ambition and the resources to do it. Yes. On the other hand, I feel it kind of it undermines a bit of the premise. If you do include yourself in it, it's, it's tough. I, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's about like your craft question for me. That one is uh, one that I often come back to that question. You know, I don't think people even want to talk about craftsmanship. It was like this quiet thing that ceramicists didn't really want to talk about. Like, uh, you know, that I'm an artist. I'm not a craftsman sort of idea. So and so now I'm like, oh, it's all I think about. It's all I talk to my classes about. I'm like like jamming it down their throat. I told my students the other day, if, if in 10 years, your craftsmanship is, is bad. Like you are not allowed to say that I was ever your teacher. When people ask, you're going to have to be like, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> I'm so like, craftsmanship is so important. If you're working in a material based, like specifically in a material that demands that the history is connected to it. And also I should be more specific. Like if you're making functional pottery on a wheel, your number one concern should be craftsmanship. So 
I don't know. That's where I'm going with that question. I just got a really ahead of it. So sorry about that. Anyway, back to, back to this. Podcast. I think it's, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's a good point of, uh, to kind of tease out, you know, uh, I, my, when I was curator, you know, at the site, so I, we moved, you had asked after Cranbrook, we moved to Boston because that's where my wife was from. And I became a curator at the Society of Arts and Crafts. And my purview there was all the, the crafts. So furniture makers and jewelers and metalsmiths and weavers, et cetera. So it gave me a really good sense of the field as a whole uh, and how the field isolates itself, right? Like there's Ensica and there's a glass art society and there's a furniture society and there's all these silos. And oftentimes people are not talking to each other. Um, but craftsmanship is certainly an issue that comes a, a, a topic of discussion in all of those fields. So like to a, a furniture maker, craftsmanship maybe has a, a heightened sense of importance that it might to sculptural ceramicists. I don't know. Well, and yeah. I think um, it's a lot easier in ceramics with clay to get quote unquote get away get away with bad craftsmanship because it can become part of an aesthetic but if you're a furniture maker and you have you know it's bad craftsmanship and that couch you know collapses <laughs> under you yeah that's bad craft um, I, I yeah. think it's 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 a lot of times it's you know does does the craftsmanship um issue slash question get in the way of the artwork right either is the craftsmanship so, so bad it takes away from the work or is it so kind of fetishized it becomes only about how awesome so and so skills are and there's no artwork or not even any like kind of wonderful object that you want to use because it's so uptight right it's so kind of where what what is the what does, does the craft get in, in in the way of the object yeah it's true i mean my my personal propensity is towards the uptight uh, mm -hmm. but you know, like at, <laughs> at Greenwich house pottery, you know, like we, we really don't judge, right? Actually, I was just talking with Taylor stone, one, our lead technician, and we were looking at kids work and I said, Oh, is that part of the ceramics club work? C kind of half kidding. The ceramics club is this group of, uh, Cooper union alum. And some of them are, you know, rather well-established artists with New York gallery representation. And yet they make work oftentimes that could be confused with pieces yep. made by eight-year-olds here. So it's, it's hard, like in a community ceramic studio, not to judge, right? Like they're, yeah. they're both valid. Uh, but I, I can imagine that as an instructor, <laughs> you have a very different relationship to that question. Well, I, I would say, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think Cammie and I teach in kind of different, different circumstances. So like yeah. uh, teaching in a, you know, highfalutin art school, and it's tricky when, you know, you have all these super famous artists, you know, doing this thing that's what we'll just call it bad craft, but it's selling for whatever right? at, at blue chip galleries. And then your students come in, you know, hey, look at this. But so and so did that. It's, it's you, know, it becomes, you know, inevitably, not inevitably, but I try to make it an interesting conversation or different ways to challenge them. Um, but it's kind of a tricky boulder to push uphill. And I'm, I'm not like a craft fetishist, but at the same time, if you're teaching a class, you got to learn how to make the thing. Yeah. Right. But in your work, would you say, Tommy, you are a craft fetishist? I have, uh, I don't know if irony is the right word, but you know, my entry point into, into ceramics was, man, this is fun, you know, and it was, <laughs> you know, I think for a lot, it was very seductive and I, li I loved really loose work, right? I loved like the stabler figures or, you know, like, 
kind of that kind of aesthetic. And I did not like super uptight work. Um, but my work now has the, it dictates that it has to be crisp and tight and crafted. Um, and I'm not sure if that's an extension of Cranbrook. I'm not sure if that's an extension of being married to a designer who has a very <laughs> particular eye, constantly tells me what's not working. Uh, but I like to think, um, and this is, you know, as much of it, it's, it's the work needs to be crafted well. And it's kind of back to the point, like if the craft is getting in the way, then the craft is the issue, right? If it's bad craft or good craft, it's, it's just, it's, it's an aspect of the work and it needs to be exactly where it needs to be. That makes sense. Right, so right. you come really uptight in terms of craftsmanship. And that's, it's, it's, I would have never thought that 20 years ago that that would be, <laughs> uh, but I'm comfortable. And it's been, you know, it's, it's been, I don't know if plum's the right word, but it's been rewarding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fabio, what kind of stuff do you like to look at? Like, what are your favorite? I mean, I, I kind of have this idea that you love objects, like that you love the, the thing. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's true. A little just from what I've gleaned off of your Instagram or. Uh, yeah. yeah, I totally love objects. And, you know, I, I think as a curator, you're, you, I was exposed to so many different objects. And um, I guess to answer your question, I can give you examples of two exhibitions that I curated. Uh, and that's kind of like, it gives you, you know, a light into the curator's personal interest. Uh, I curated an exhibition called uh, The Theater of Repetition, colon, Slipcast Ceramics. <laughs> colon. Yes. Uh, and, you know, included the work of Dale Harrell and Paul Eshelman, who makes these beautiful Slipcast functional ceramics. Uh, Seth Nagelberg was in that one as well, Ben Ryder Bands. Um, another exhibition that I curated was called Architecture Structure. So seeing what artists take on that, uh, how that manifested in the work that they made. So I, I am drawn to very kind of, you know, tight, precise, minimal type work. Um, but I do also collect objects. <laughs> and before here, I was, I was a private dealer in, in art and objects and, you know, buying and selling at auction and uh, kind of deacquisitioning people's uh, collections of objects. So I, I just love objects and the histories that they tell and who made them, why they made them, where they were made, like all these things about them. It's that kind of, um, I would imagine that, that um, kind of depth of interest in, you know, the object, you know, kind of keeps your kind of conceptual, kind of scratches your conceptual itch, right? We're kind of really digging into what a thing is. Yes. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in, in design as well. Like, I think one of the, I, you know, I've been a visiting critic at a lot of different departments and sculpture departments uh, in particular. And I find that after many semesters of doing that, I just want to see some functional work. You know, like I, I can't imagine being a sculpture professor for 25 years and rarely talking about function or, or, or good design in terms of industrial design. Well, that's, that why, is, that's why ceramics is perfect for you. <laughs> I think that I mean, your, your comment, what, what did you say? I can't imagine talking about sculpture for 25 years without thinking about function. Is that more or less what you just said? Yes. I, I, I love that. Um, and I think it's, I was thinking about that this morning in terms of, you know, for me personally, I make art, 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 whatever, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but there's something about the, um, the the functional object, whether it's a cup or a chair or whatever, that ultimately it has to reside in truth, right? We can talk in circles around art, but again, if that couch collapses when you sit on it, it is unequivocally a failure. Or if you know this coffee drips down my shirt, it is a failed cup, no matter how good it looks. Yeah, I love that kind of um, kind of. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know if subverting language lot sounds too lofty, but it's like it's 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 kind of a hard line as to quality, right? And then everything else kind of goes from there. I like that uh, exhibition title: "A Failed Cup," <laughs> <laughs> a juried show. <laughs> I wonder what people would send in. <laughs> consider failure. I have a stack. I have like a pile <laughs> of them in my studio. Pile of seconds. A failed cup for me is like just a second. So, and a second is anything that has one tiny little like glitch, not like whatever it is. And all those really should in my estimation be destroyed, but that's really con controversial. Yeah. Well, you know that funny that you bring that up because um, Kathy King, who's director of Harvard ceramics and who's also on a, a, a co-host of podcast called for flux sake, um, yeah, I remember telling her that I thought that, you know, in no other field do people sell their seconds and put them out into the world. Right. And then here I am at a community ceramic center and we have seconds essentially that people donate to the pottery or leave behind or don't pick up after bisking or after glazing. And the, we consider them a donation and we have sidewalk sales to raise funds <laughs> for the pottery. Certainly we curate out, you know, the worst or the most dangerous of them. But, you know, now <laughs> being the director of a community ceramic studio, I want to apologize to Kathy King on the record <laughs> for what I said. That's amazing um, <laughs> and hilarious. <laughs> that's really I've funny. Never, I have never thought about that, but that's a thousand percent true, unequivocally. <laughs> I have a question, uh, Fabio. Um, I mean, you're, you know, I, I don't think anybody could plan out your trajectory. I think it's really unique and interesting. Um, but it seems pretty clear that your your degree in business has really come in incredibly useful for you both, you know, obviously, probably in terms of getting the jobs, but just in your practical ability to pull all this stuff off. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think when I when I was becoming serious about my education in the art, I kind of um, was was mad at myself that I hadn't found art earlier and gone for a BFA, but you know it just didn't play out that way. But in in the end, that business skill and uh, certainly has helped as a as a director. And I think in you know at, at, in grad school, the the model while I was in grad school was like the model that was held up is you want to be an exhibiting artist with a New York gallery representation, making your living out of that. The truth is that in my mind now, it's more about having a creative practice and how that plays out and changes for each of us is different. So for me now, it's kind of being the director and, and an arts administrator, as boring as that may sound, while also keeping the string of a studio practice or at least a sketchbook is what's you know fulfilling to me. And, and to, you know, to kind of, um, as Biggie Small says, giving, giving ins to your friends and it feels stupendous, you know, like <laughs> giving opportunities for, for teachers and exhibitors and, and, and my staff, you know, my colleagues on staff.
is really gratifying. Yeah, that's really generous. I think there's also, I mean, don't be like, you can't dismiss the creativity that goes into directing a um, nonprofit with as big a history as Greenwich House. You can like put your own voice onto the Greenwich House as every director before you is done. So there's like a lineage to, to the direction that you push whatever nonprofit it is, not just Greenwich House. Like, you know, when you're like working within the confines of this thing and then you're trying to figure out how to make the thing, you're in the thing and you're trying to figure out how to make the thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I had been following, you know, Greenwich House Pottery since uh, Sarah Archer was director and then Adam Welch. So, you know, I see all the advances and the strides and the directions that they took it in. And so the, there is a real kind of uh, the weight of continuing the, the, the venerable history of the place. That's what you know, I, with that's all what its I wanted parts. to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, I think one of the, one of the really special things about um, a place like Greenwich House, um, you know, and I think, you know, I've thought about, I've taught at most of the schools in, around here before I got my current job. It's, you can't fake history, right? You can't fake a legacy. And I think it's, and obviously it comes with pressure, but you, you, you couldn't just build that out of nothing. And so to kind of have this opportunity with this, what, you know, hundred plus year history, right? Um, and then to kind of continue to grow that, it's gotta be really exciting. Yes. And, you know, it's such an un, uh, un, unusual place. Uh, I mean, I think people love and come here because of its history, because of the quality of the faculty, because of its gas kilns, because of its location and because of its community. And the community is just so interesting. Like, you know, one day I'll talk to someone who is a retired surgeon and another one is a practicing lawyer and another one, you know, is an industrial designer who designed the the whiteout, the tube that whiteout comes in. It's like just fascinating to hear these people's stories, you know? <laughs> Is he a good sculptor? Yes. <laughs> when you saw the job, what, like what made you want to even apply for this job? Were you like, oh my God, that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my wife had taken a position at a studio gang, which is a really, um, top-notch architecture studio founded by Gene Gang. They have a headquarters in Chicago, but they also have offices in New York, San Francisco, and Paris. And she had been following them for quite a while. Gene Gang is like the real deal. You know, she's a, a real advocate for equitable pay for women in the field of architecture and design. She's a MacArthur fellow. And essentially, they said to her, yeah, we'll hire you as a design director. Where do you want to move to? Which one of our four locations? And we selected New York. And then I'm like, oh, well, what am I going to do in New York? <laughs> and uh, I had been the director of the Society of Arts and Crafts and then had taken three years away from that just to kind of focus on, on myself and the, the, the buying and selling of objects and the research of objects. And I missed the institutional platform and working with with other creatives and uh, on a day to day and 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 kind of managing and mentoring staff so this this place seemed to be a really good match for that i was a little um concerned about limiting my focus to ceramics because i had been a generalist within the field of american craft um so that that was a concern of mine although i i talked to different friends about it and one one dear friend shannon goff said to me like 
don't think of it as limiting to 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 ceramics, but see how once you get going, you might expand ceramics. You know, and I thought that was yeah. very encouraging. That's great. That is great. Great. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm at that point yet. I think just uh, figuring out which subway to get me home uh, <laughs> has taken a couple of months. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Oh, I was going to, uh, I wanted to talk or ask you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, we have a mutual friend, Christian Tedeschi, who, you know, comes out of ceramics, but runs sculpture out, out here at Northridge. But he reminded me of all the various collaboratives that you've been a part of from, from Telegraph and CoLab. And then as far as I know, you're still, I think you're still working with Telegraph and um, your project with Tom Lowerman, uh, uh, Sculpture and Love with Architecture. It seems like um, community is, is really important to you. Yeah, I mean, this, this group, Cami, uh, Telegraph Art, we was formed by a couple of people that graduated at Cranbrook at around the same time and a couple other people who happened to live in Cram, uh, in Detroit. Hartmut Austin, who was a painter, and Brent Summerhauser, who, was a, who worked in glass. And since 2002, we've, every couple of years, we did some sort of exhibition or collaborative project together. And it was a way of kind of keeping connected um, and, and also kind of helping to support each other as we grew in the field. Uh, most of the other people in Telegraph did the adjunct hustle for, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Now, most of them are full-time tenured faculty all around the country. And um, it, it, it was really a great way of, of, of keeping connected. And Haley Bates is at Colorado State University. She's head of the metalsmithing department. So we all work in, in, in different media, but it was a good way. And I, when I do crits, I tell students like find that community of people that you might want to continue to collaborate and keep connected to throughout the trajectory of your career, yeah. wherever that might lead. I, I love that you say that because I was, as you're, as you're talking, I was thinking about students should really hear this, you know, I think we can all uh, attest to the art world is ridiculously competitive. Um, and can kind of, you know, form a, a basically a crew, you know, uh, to, to help each other out and create opportunities. And it sounds like all of you, basically most, I think all of you left Detroit um, and Telegraph, but, but maintain this, this connection with one another through kind of literal and probably emotional support, but also oppor opportunity support. I, you know, I've seen a bunch of your guys' shows and, and creating opportunities for one another. And I think that's, it's really cool that you guys have maintained it for what, probably almost 20 years now. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that it's paid off in a practical sense, but more importantly, just kind of developing the important, showing the value of a community, um, across geography and time is really, uh, yeah. Really yeah. We would do, you know, when, when, um, so Haley was at Colorado state university, Christian at, uh, Cal state Northridge, mm -hmm. uh, Hartmut is at Boston college now, but he also taught at CCS. Um, so everyone kind of arranged the telegraph show at wherever they were. And typically we would go and take over the university gallery, right. Uh, and live on campus for a week while we're making work and then have the exhibition, you know? So we had these very limited parameters, you know, I love the piece that you did for the Northridge show. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you want to, do you feel, would you mind describing it? The, the chairs? Yeah. I was just hired as director of Society of Arts and Crafts, having been a, a curator. So I wasn't able to spend the, the entire week that we had planned. So I kind of sent this 
the instructions to Christian Tedeschi and his class were to go to the university and find a chair from each of the different colleges, you know, the College of Orthopedics and the College of Business and the art school and bring all these mishmash of chairs together. And that was my piece, you know. Then I also asked students to go out and just make portraits, do portraits of people on campus, you know, a, a way of connecting the university students in ways that you typically aren't, right? Like the pharmacology students hang out here and the sculptors are smoking over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, let me ask you, why didn't you, you could have opened a gallery, no? Like, was that a, ever an option for you? It was an option and I I'd seriously considered it. I even had a name and I looked at some locations when we were in Boston. Um, my, my, my boss, uh, when I was curator at Cranbrook, Greg Whitcup, he was the director of the museum. He told me the same thing. You know, when I was looking for different curatorial jobs, he's like, why don't you just open the, the gap, open a gallery? You have, you have two of the three things that will lead to success. Uh, people like and respect you. You have a knowledge of the field. The only thing you're missing is the financing. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that, that, that just the money thing. <laughs> Just yeah. that tiny little detail. Yeah, he's like, well, if you if you have enough funds to keep the gallery going without any sales for two years, you'll make it through that. No. <laughs> okay. But I I did seriously consider it, Cami, and uh, you know, in the end, I kind of like working for a nonprofit and 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 the resources and the and uh, the the opportunities to help others are 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 similar. And except that you have more more support in a ways financial and, and otherwise, but I it gives me tremendous respect for people who have galleries. You know, it's it's a labor of love, and it can often be a, a finance financial black hole. And oftentimes, people galleries, especially at small startup galleries, don't pay themselves a salary, right? So they may be seen as successful, but they may not be drawing a salary. So it it, it matters who your partner might be and whether you've married well and whether you have the other sources of support, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. And artists are so easy to work with. <laughs> mm. Yes. The dead ones, the dead ones, especially. <laughs> <laughs> They're the easiest. Yeah. Uh, so I heard, I heard that you took a class at uh, Greenwich house. I heard that you took a ceramics class. Yes. What was that yep. like? It was awesome. You know, while Tom Larriman and I have this uh, series of ceramic sculptures that we've been working on for many years, it's really driven on this theme of Tom Larriman's intelligence in making. I realized I should take a class also to give me a sense of the perspective from a student and slightly from the faculty point of view. So I took a beginning hand building class with Unha Paek, who was one of your interviewees here. And it was so great. Much. It's like, okay, let's start with the pinch pot, foil, slab. I loved it. I love the structure of it and uh, the, 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 the community aspect of it. Although there are you know, people in a class who are there to talk and to meet others. And there are people who are just very focused. And I can imagine that as an instructor, it's really hard to kind of navigate and balance that, right? But it was a great experience. How many yeah. teachers do you have there? Just curious. We have about 30 teachers. Holy yeah. God. Yeah. Each teach one or some teach two classes. I'm taking uh, my second ceramic class now with Gina Tibbetts, 
uh, who's also an archaeologist. Okay, that's cool. Is that, is that the theme of the class, archaeology and ceramics? It's an intermediate hand building class, although I probably really am still a beginner uh, <laughs> hand building, but certainly archaeology comes comes through in, in her teaching. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. That's really cool. Go out and bury each other's work and dig it up and then critique it. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay, so a couple months ago, you showed me the Greenwich House Pottery Ceramics Collection, right? And it was pretty incredible. Like, what's your hot take on the Greenwich Like, was there something that you were like, I want to take this home? Or was there, was there like anything that really stood out for you in the collection? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the pottery has this permanent collection and it came to us via a variety of different ways. It could be um, Chris Daly doing a demo and he left a piece. It could be uh, Les Richter donating his collection after he's passed away and his estate has left it to us. It could be, you know, Peter Volkus in the 60s when he was... Uh, a frequent instructor leaving pieces. Um, so it's, it's, it's somewhat uneven, uh, uh, somewhat interesting. There, there's Betty Woodman's, there's David East's. Uh, um, I guess what one of the things, and in a way we're not great stewards of the collection because we can't show it, that we're so limited in space. Um, and caring for it has, is a challenge as well. So in the past, the, the, the pottery has sold pieces from the collection and they're, they're pieces that were given with no strings attached. So in the past, they've they been pieces sold through the Garth Clark Gallery and at auctions and things like that. Uh, but to answer your, collect, your question, Cami, I came across the work of M Margaret Ponce Israel, um, who was a teacher, uh, a student, and became a teacher, very prolific. Uh, her her husband was, was Marvin Israel, who was the creative director of Harper's Bazaar, so kind of a power couple. And we have a lot of her work from the estate. A portion of the work was also given to the Racine Art Museum. Really an important uh, artist who died tragically. She was on a bike and hit by a truck in, in, in New York City. Uh, she was represented by the Twining Gallery at a certain point. So had a, you know, a substantial career that's been forgotten. So as our curator, Caitlin McClure, and I are going through the collection, we, we are finding that there are people now interested in unearthing these, these histories, right? Uh, so I was at a, um, a Zoom lecture with Jenny Sorkin, and she talked about her, her projects, and she talked about having this cohort of PhD students who are interested in, in revealing those, those histories mm. and came across Sarah Morris, and there's, there's a... An, an, Another curator at the Whitney who's also interested in particularly Margaret Ponce Israel's work. So we, we've been working to kind of somehow unearth the collection, you know? Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's really a great. Oh, man, I love it. I also um, I also love Jenny Sorkin. Have you read her book where she talks about Susan Peterson as the former director of the Greenwich House Pottery, too? There's like a section if you're interested. I have not. I should have. Yeah, it, it's oh, bad live forms. Yeah, but get to it because it's actually it's really interesting about how oh. she brought in. Side you know, note, Susan, sorry, Susan, no, I just please. wanted to interject. Susan Peterson also taught at USC for a long time. It's 
a really small, small world. Yeah, small world. And one of the things she did, which which I discovered during Zoom time, um, she she was doing Zoom ceramics in the '60s, right? So she did a um, Martha. Who's that cooking lady? Julia Childs. Remember her? That, right? Yeah. She was. She did her ceramics in like I think it was 1969 and 1970. Add butter, just add butter. <laughs> exactly. And she on the USC campus, and she filmed it for public access. It was two years worth of ceramic devos for for TV. And so I actually used those during Zoom. Because uh, we digitized them all uh, uh, to to do demos, it was awesome. Oh my god! Can is it? Can can everyone see it? Can I? Can we watch it? Um, you'd have to go on the. Uh, I don't know how it works. I mean, it's on the USC libraries, and it's they're digitized. So if you can get access to that, yeah. All right, I'm going to hit you up for that and that link. Yeah, um, yeah it's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's but awesome. I love, even in you know whatever 1960s, 70s, that that artists of that stature were you know. Doing Greenwich House and teaching SC and teach and she was pretty big here in LA and the West Coast as well. Um, yeah, of that bridge. We so besides the permanent collection, we also have a, an archive of files and correspondence and images. You know, we like we have a Rosanjin platter that was given to the pottery during his solo exhibition at MoMA in 1953 or whatever it was. And our our curator who also who also runs the artist residency program has also been slowly digitizing this. And we met recently with someone from the uh, Smithsonian, the Archives of American Art, because you know, we want them to maintain our archive into perpetuity and they have the, the, the resources to make this uh, material accessible to scholars around the world. You know? So there's, like, there's operations and the, the classes, there's, and then there's all these other side jobs within the bigger job. You know? It actually kind of sounds fun. <laughs> You're making it sound fun, and I know it isn't. It is, yeah. I mean, it, it is fun. It's it's also like I I can't imagine what a place like MoMA or the Getty, all that they can do with their much more vast resources. You know, like we try to support our our staff and our people as best we can, and and do what we can within our resources. Right. Totally. So, if there's any uh, foundations out there that are interested in um, helping historic organizations maintain their permanent collection and or archives, hit me up. <laughs> I'm sure we have a, a lot of, maybe, you never know. You never know, really. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. You know, obviously you're still settling in and it's a big move, a big, you know, it's obviously a big job. Or, or have you gotten your kind of um, feet planted enough to, sh to shift back to your own art practice outside of the beginning ceramics class? Uh, I always draw. So I, I, you know, I pretty faithfully maintain a, a sketchbook um, since I was probably you know, 20, 24. Uh, so that's been, it's been kind of a saving grace, you know, and I've also kind of realized that maintaining a, a creative practice or an art practice is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to do with producing, whether it's a drawing or a three-dimensional object, you know, but the Thinking of it, I think, is important too. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that maybe it's just an excuse I'm making, but uh, that's how I feel. <laughs> no, I would agree with that. I think it's um, it's a headspace, right? As much as it is a physical space, and and um, 
if you could just access to me anyways, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of, kind of this art space mentally or emotionally every day, it, the, your, your practice stays vibrant. Yeah. And it's really, it's so inspiring just to walk through the place in the hallway where all the work is deposited after the blaze firing. And just to see <laughs> the variety of different objects that are, that are, that are put out. We have, we have an Instagram account that we've main, maintained pretty, pretty lively. And one of our weekly posts is, you know, staff pick something that just came out of the kiln, you know, so we, I, I love engaging with, with our audiences through our posts and through our stories. Just, just today I posted like somebody made a, a rabbit made out of T1 and a little, uh, uh, a T1 pot with a glazed ceramic cactus. <laughs> and it is just so striking. <laughs> No. T1 for the listeners is a clay is the is the name of the clay body at Greenwich House. <laughs> yeah, and it's my favorite clay so far. Uh, I have to say, like, I haven't delved into glazing. I'm just like making T1 cone 10 things. It's this very kind of groggy sculptural clay, and I just love it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just the way it feels. Yeah, yeah, but the way. Yeah. The glazes really do look beautiful on that clay as well. Like those cone 10 glazes really look stunning on this clay body. If you get in, if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm edging into it. I'm, kind of, you know, I, I, uh, before, before going to grad school, I had done one of those um, career discovery programs aimed at people who thought they might want to be architects. And so I did it at University of Texas in Austin and I spent the summer there um, and it was, you know, people who had been nurses and were thinking about going to grad school for, um, for architecture or people who had been artists or industrial designers, a wide variety of people who had been contemplating, a, an education in ceramics. And I quickly realized that I, uh, I didn't want to be a, an architect because you're just subject to the demands of a client. But, uh, and I also realized that I was very interested in form and my instructors called me a form pig. That's what they call architects that are just interested in form a form pig which i thought was a compliment <laughs> so i'm not getting i'm not getting to glazes yet i'm still on form okay that sounds, wow that sounds like another show title fabio <laughs> yes i'm running these down okay, that's, that's well, i don't know i'm, I'm not uh, there's a lot of imagery that yeah. comes with that <laughs> really 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 um let's see as we're nearing the end of the hour, uh, Fabi, this has been actually really, really fun to talk to you. Oh, I have to congratulate you on the progress of the construction of the Greenwich House Pottery, which has been in limbo. I don't know if we should really get into it on this podcaster, but congratulations to you. This is a huge, huge deal, right? Like it's been stalled for years and years. And yeah, uh, it turns out it's building in new york city is a very complicated thing and uh when it happens during a pandemic and neighbors which might have other ideas it's even more complicated so we're we're trying to you know we're in the process of kind of reimagining um and scaling to a more modest uh renovation and addition the 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 marquee aspects of this will be an elevator uh so to our audiences you know we're on three stories and we don't have an elevator, so we move people and 200 pounds worth of clay through an exterior hoist. And it's just such a tremendous, 
tremendously difficult job for especially our our tech crew you know so we yeah we've been working on that yeah um i did want to mention that one of the great things that I, I, uh, that this position has allowed me now is that I teach, I teach a class, but it's not about making because I don't have the technical background to do that. I teach a class called out on the town and every Wednesday afternoon, we go visit an artist studio or a museum exhibition or uh, a collector's home or a gallery and, and, and look at ceramics. And it's also, it's always with like a special touch, a guided tour, that sort of thing. So you know, we've been to Peter Lane's studio. We've been to see the Myalica Mania exhibition at the Bard Graduate Center. And that's been, it's been so enriching. And it's, it's a way to get people out of our building here on 16 Jones Street and, and engage with, with the field and each other in a, in a very different way. It's been very rewarding. Actually, my, one of my students took, that, took your class and said that it was so amazing. She just raved about it. She said that she's like learned because a lot of like a lot of community center students um, don't have a background in art. So she really, really, really learned so much in your class. Yeah. So congratulations. Yeah. I, I should take yeah. it. Tom, Thank maybe you. you and I should. Yeah. I'll sign me up. Man. <laughs> Let's give you FaceTime us in. <laughs> FaceTime us into your tour. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad idea, Fabio. Susan Peterson did it. You know what I'm saying? Oh. No, get it. A- so would I put like a camera and a microphone on myself and just take the class and everyone can join in? GoPro? Yeah, basically. A GoPro, yes. Yes, that's a- yes, I would watch that. <laughs> yeah. I'm always thinking about how to monetize it too, you know, as director of a nonprofit. I think that in the past three years, especially during COVID, there's been a lot of free content out there, but you know, nonprofits, we cannot pay staff to develop good worthwhile content uh, uh, if the classes are for free, right? So I, 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 to interject a business note to our conversation. <laughs> but those, that's, that's business is real, right? You got to pay the rent. Yeah. You know, and, and I think kind of back, Back to the yeah. earlier part of the conversation, it's, you know, I, I love to kind of, you know, swim in art speak seas all day long, but it, it is kind of once you start adulting, you have to pay the rent, you have to pay for your studio rent, you have to really think about um, uh, how to survive, right? Um, and that goes for an art practice as well as obviously a nonprofit. And, and I think, you know, artists don't like to talk about that stuff because it's icky or not, you know, impure or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I, yeah. I serve on the I serve on the board of Haystack Mountain School yeah. of Crafts in Maine. And, you know, during COVID, Paul Sacarides, the, the former director, yeah. you know, was able to secure funding to make the online programming, which was very hardy and very expansive yeah. to make that available for free. But, you know, we we as consumers of this material cannot get used to it being free, <laughs> you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I watched, I watched uh, one of those last year uh, for free and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So <laughs> thanks to paid for it. <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> Dang. Excellent. Uh, do you, Tom, any other last things you want to talk, ask Fabio before we start wrapping it up? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, I really, you know, before you came on, I, 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 t- I was talking to Cami that I, I'm really, you know, because I've known you, you know, from up close and from afar for almost 20 years. It's, I think what's really interesting about your, your, uh, you know, you being in this position is just your trajectory to getting here and how it's kind of, I don't know, meanderings of fair word, fair word, but you just kind of really engaged all of your interests. And it seems like you're super open-minded to opportunities. Um, and then, you know, presumably worked your butt off at every opportunity. Um, but I just think your, your, your pathway is really fascinating. Um, and so nonlinear in the best way. And, um, I, I, you know, at least I, I hope that came through today. I mean, I, for, for people listening, um, kind of yeah. the uniqueness of your path and just, yeah, thanks for sharing it. It's really wonderful. Yeah, my pleasure. And actually, you know, I, I see this with students here, you know, like there's a woman who had a, had a clothing line and now she's sold that clothing line and she's a serious, she's very serious about ceramics. So she's at the point where she might set up her own studio. And, you know, I think that uh, maybe a year ago, maybe it was Unhap Pike who offered a class about kind of professional development or, or if you're ready to leave the community studio setting and you want to set up your studio, this is what it might look like. This is what you need. This is what it might cost. So I'm really uh, empathetic to people who are switching careers or, you know, diving into other fields, whether, you know, whether it's tangent to what they were doing or totally different from what they were doing, you know? Yeah, that's really wonderful. And, and um, I mean, it's also, as, as, as you were, as you were talking, thinking about, you know, breaking down boundaries, craft, art, design, or whatever, architecture, all this stuff, but also kind of um, respecting what those things are, um, but not letting those boundaries keep you away from them, if that makes sense. And it seems like you're really adept at, at, at navigating that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot. It was really fun. I, I guess we should uh, have drinks sometime and talk about our favorite pieces of design. Yes, I love that. Like, I love that. I'm a design junkie um, too. Let it be known. <laughs> Let it be known. During the course of this, during the course of this interview, I have been drinking coffee out of my Ryan Rennie cup and drinking water out of my Anjali Wright cup. Nice. I'll, nice. I'll put, I want to do my. Can, can I credit my mugs too? Yeah, please. I, I was drinking coffee out of a Ayumi Horie mug. Ah. Uh, oh. And drinking awesome. uh, uh, my water out of a Farzan Sabet cup, a local potter here in LA. Nice. I, I love oh, I'm sure. I'm you, like, yeah, I got nothing. I'm uh I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Cammy's drinking seltzer. Out of a polar seltzer. Yeah. That's all right. I should have for shame. I know I'm embarrassed. Hey, uh, hey, that's a very functional vessel she's got there. <laughs> Some would argue the most functional. Right. <laughs> Great. Fabio, awesome. thank you so much. Thank you, thank it was you. wonderful. Bye, bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll I'll see you next week. Tom, what do you think? Fabio was great, right? Yes, it was. He was really, um, I don't know, exceeded expectations, but it was just really wonderful to hear him talk. He's just so comfortable in his own skin. I know. Um, Wow. Obviously super articulate. Um, That was really great. Yeah, I'm so glad he could do it. I didn't realize how much we had in common until I actually spoke to him. And I'm wondering, well, I don't want to, again, I don't want to like dive into, sorry. I don't want to dive into Cranbrook because people are going to be like, yeah, what are they talking about? But I would say this with, you know, it's, I think it's, um, 
uh, a testament to the kind of core philosophy of, of Cranbrook um, and kind of breaking down those boundaries between areas and a built community. And I was surprised too, like, um, you know, before we, you know, we did this interview, I talked to Christian Tedeschi, our mutual friend, how long I've, I've actually known Fabio and that I remember that he'd curated me into shows and then he and I'd been in shows together. Um, and then just the way these kind of relationships, even, you know, across the continents kind of interweave and stay connected. And we know all these people together. It's crazy. Um, it's cool. Yeah. So cool. It's great. I hope, um, I hope, uh, you know, I'm kind of slipping the teacher guy mode, but I, I hope, you know, I assume there's students that listen, <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> kind of think about it, you know, uh, kind of the, it's real, the relationships that you build are real and they become part of your life, you know, forever. Um, kind of think about that when you're, when you're meeting people in, in your group studio, wherever you may be, you know, don't be a jerk, you know, <laughs> you never know who you're going to run into and who's going to help you out or, or even who's going to have a cool conversation with 20 years later. Also, there's just like not one path, right? There's not one direct path to whatever your goal, whatever you set your goal. Like your life takes you in all kinds of different ways and people, people go get there. However, they're going to get there. Well, I'm a hundred percent pro meandering. <laughs> uh, you know, I know in this capitalist hellscape we all live in, we're kind of driven to kind of get from point A to point B and we're task oriented and goal oriented. Um, but I, th you know, I think for all of us artists, we're, we're pretty good at meandering, but again, like Fabio's, trajectory or career is, is kind of meandered in all these super interesting places and unequivocally successful at every stop. Yeah. But it might not have been A to B. Right. Right. Well, I want to thank you, Tom, so much for being my co-host today. It was so great having you. And and thanks to all the listeners. Um, you can follow Thomas Mueller on Instagram. I'll drop it in the post. And you can follow Fabio Drawing Straws on Instagram and also check out Blanche House Pottery. And see you guys. Well, I guess I'll list. Oh, I won't see anybody. But I guess. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.